This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Today we are discussing a new topic of the book of Joshua, Yehoshua. And we're going to talk a bit about who he was and the importance of the Sefer Yehoshua, which is today maybe of primary importance. And the primary importance is because of the fact that the Jewish rights to the land of Israel really hinge on the promises that God made to the forefathers and to Moses in the desert and to the people of Israel, but especially on the fact that Yoshua, Joshua conquered the land of Israel. He conquered the land of Israel and the Jews lived in the land of Israel for 850 years of the first commonwealth and another 800 or so years of the second commonwealth. So the Jews have been living in Israel for 1600 years. So this is a fact that today is being attacked and undermined. So the book of Joshua really is terribly important, especially today. The book of Joshua is especially important for us today to prove that we, the Jewish people, inherited this land. We got this land. We took this land. We lived in this land for many years, for thousands of years, and the land belongs to us. So that's why today there's a movement to undermine the book of Joshua wasn't written properly it wasn't uh, it's not right it was written later on it wasn't written about there's no such person as joshua so there's a whole movement of people trying to undermine the book of joshua we have to uh, reinstate we have to reinforce the book of joshua that's very important to learn the book of joshua so who was joshua who was yehoshua his name was changed from hoshea which means salvation to yehoshua god salvation hashem should help him hashem should uh, save him so it says that Moshe Rabbeinu changed his name when he was sent as one of the spies to spy out the land of Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu changed his name. Rashi says, Yehoshua Hashem should save him from this, from the advice of the other spies. So we're going to talk a bit about that, how his name was changed from Yehoshua, uh, from Hoshea to Yehoshua. Also, it's very strange, the fact that he's one of the few people known as Instead of Ben so-and-so, which is the son of so-and-so, he's called Bin Nun, the son of Nun, missing a, few, a dot of the, uh, underneath the letter Bet. There should be a Tzere, instead of which there's only one dot, and the uh, Chirik. So instead of Ben Nun, it's Bin Nun. So why is that? Why is Yoshua called Bin Nun and not Ben Nun? Why is he not uh, formally enti- entitled? The normal way of calling someone is by the name of their father. When a person gets an aliyah to the Torah, they call Ben so-and-so, not Bin so-and-so. Why is he called Bin Nun? Um, and that's a very interesting idea. The idea that we're going to talk about the Midrash later on says that Nun it represents the 50 gates of, of understanding. Nun Shari Bina. And Nun represents understanding that Yoshua was one of the greatest sages of that time. People don't really realize, look at Yoshua as a great sage. The truth is he was an all-rounder, just like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was an all-rounder. He was a prophet, the top prophet. He was a spiritual leader. He was uh, the head judge. He was the head of the army. He was the one who was in charge of the people. He was, in fact, Ramon calls him the first king of Israel. So Moses was the first king. Yoshua was the second king. If Moshe was the first head of the Sanhedrin of the Jewish people, Yoshua Joshua was the second head of the Sanhedrin, the high court of the Jewish people. So we look at Yoshua, who is Yoshua, as a leader, but he's much more than a leader. He's an all-rounder. He was the leader. He was the general. He was the head of the Sanhedrin. 
He was tremendously important in the transmission of the Torah. He's one of the greatest sages of that time. That's why he's called Bin Nun. He's called the one who inherited the Nun Sha'arebina, the 50 gates of understanding. So very, very important. Now, you, we have to look at Yoshua not just as a singular leader and one-dimensional leader. He was a multi-dimensional leader. He, uh, in, he leaded in many different ways, many different pathways. So Hoshea was born as Hoshea Ben Nun in Egypt in the year 2406 from creation, which translates as 1355 BCE. 1355 BCE. Like Moshe Rabbeinu, the Midrash says he was hidden in the Nile after birth to escape Pharaoh's decree that all newborn Hebrew males be drowned in the river. For 40 years, he was Moshe's faithful disciple. The Torah says he was a na'ar, he acted like a lad. So even though he wasn't a lad at all, he was quite old. Uh, he died at 110, and he was quite old already at the end of uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's life. And uh, therefore, the rabbis say he was acting like a nar. He was full of zrizut. He was full of vitality and enthusiasm to learn Torah like a young man and to do mitzvot like a young man. So even though he was an elderly person already, he was called a nar. He was a nar. He was like a lad who never left the tent of learning. He stayed by Moshe Rabbeinu's side for 40 years. Hence, one of the interesting points in the Torah is that Moshe Rabbeinu's sons did not inherit him. Moshe Rabbeinu's two sons, Eliezer and Gershom, should have inherited their father. If he was the king, they were his sons, they should have inherited. Hashem says, no, I'm going to choose someone else. Who am I going to choose? I'm going to choose Yehoshua. Why am I going to choose Yehoshua? Because Yehoshua was this lad who never left Moshe Rabbeinu's side. He never left the tent of meeting. He was always learning, always studying, always learning from Moshe Rabbeinu all his life, 40 years. And therefore Hashem chose Yoshua instead of Moshe's sons, which is really surprising. It's uh, one of the interesting facets that people gloss over when they learn the Torah. That really Moshe Rabbeinu's sons should have been chosen. And Yoshua was surprised. Yoshua is chosen instead. So Yoshua was born in 1355 BCE. And when he came out of Mitzrayim, he joined Moshe Rabbeinu, became his disciple, who did not budge from Moshe Rabbeinu's tent. And therefore, Yoshua, one of his traits is the trait of devotion, the trait of commitment, which is one of the primary prerequisites to acquire the wisdom of Torah. So here is Yoshua. Yoshua is a great man in his own right. And in 1312 BCE, we find he was one of the 12 spies. But before, before we talk about the 12 spies, we also find that Yoshua became a general of the army. We find that when the Jewish people crossed the Red Sea, which was a tremendous miracle, Hashem splits the sea, the Jewish people crossed the sea. Everyone around was scared of them. Nevertheless, who comes to attack them? The nation of Amalek. Uh, the nation of Amalek is our major protagonist in this world. Jewish people's protagonist, Amalek. We don't know today who is Amalek. It's more a type of person as opposed to a race. There's no race today as known as Amalek, but it's a type of people who hate God and hate the Jewish people, hate the God's people. That is uh, the definition of today's Amalek. And there's many anti-Semites around who would fit that category. So Amalek in those days was a nation, the first nation to attack the Jewish people after the crossing of the Red Sea. It says everyone else was scared stiff. 
Amalek was not scared of God. He wants to show his disparagement of God, his disparagement of the Jewish people, and he attacks the Jewish people. It says he attacked from behind. And he tried to attack and kill the weak and the elderly. He was stragglers. Uh, it says, use the word zanab. He attacked from the rear, like a, he attacked the tail of the Jewish people. So all the stragglers, Amalek attacks. Who does Moshe Rabbeinu appoint to be the general of the army? I don't know how they got together an army just crossing the Red Sea, but somehow they got together this rabble, a Jewish rabble to fight Amalek. And who had to lead the fight? Well, Moshe Rabbeinu chooses his main disciple, Joshua, to lead the fight. So imagine, so very early on already, Joshua was headed for greatness. Moshe Rabbeinu did not choose his own children. It's interesting. He chose Joshua, someone else. This young boy, this at that time, wasn't so young. He was uh, at least, let's see, he was at least 60 years old. And he, uh, he asked him to lead the army, the Jewish army, the rabble at that time, to fight Amalek, which Joshua did. But only because it says when Moshe Rabbeinu went up the mountain and he went up with two, two with Aaron and Hur holding up his hands. When Moshe Rabbeinu's hands were up, the Jewish people were winning. And Moshe Rabbeinu put his hands down, the Jewish people were losing. So it's very important to note that Yeshua right early on, in the first year after leaving Egypt, already he was elevated to a status of a military general of this rabble to fight Amalek in which he was victorious, not because he was so great, but uh, because the, the Talmud says it's not because he was great, it's because when Moshe Rabbeinu raised up his hands, the Jewish people were praying to God, and they realized their salvation was coming from God, and that's why they won the war. But it's, it's interesting to note that right early on, Yeshua was chosen by Moshe to be a leader of Klal Israel, to be the general of Klal Israel, to be the general just early on, a few months after leaving Egypt, Yoshua was ready. So it wasn't a surprise 40 years later for Yoshua to be picked because Yoshua was already picked, Moshe Rabbeinu already picked him. It's interesting. Maybe he didn't pick him in all the different spheres we talked about earlier, only in the sphere of being a general, but later on he excelled in all the different areas required. He was a prophet, he was a judge, he was a learned rabbi, he was a leader, he was uh, head of a Sanhedrin, he was head of the Beit Din, and the great man all around him. Yoshua was a great man. You must never denigrate Yoshua. Yoshua was a great man who fulfilled the promise. He fulfilled the promise that God gave to, Mo, to Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. It wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to fulfill the promise. Moshe Rabbeinu was not allowed into Israel. So Yoshua is the one who was chosen by God to lead the Jewish people into the promised land, for Hashem to be able to fulfill his promises to the forefathers, that he's going to give the Jewish people the land. Now, it's also very important. What is one of the most important parts of the book of Joshua? And that is the idea of the land of Israel, the centrality to the Jewish people of the land of Israel. We have to really focus on this more. It's not being talked about enough, at least at least outside Israel. So the centrality of the land of Israel is tremendously important. What's so important about the centrality of the land of Israel? Now we have to know that, you know, there's a, why is the land of Israel so important? And this is a very famous rabbi, one of my favorite uh, rabbis. Uh, thank God I was involved a little bit, just a tiny drop with. I've never seen such um, amazing intellect which combined with tremendous humility. His name was Rabbi Suleiman Sasson. 
uh, of originally Iraqi uh, lineage, uh, going back to the 1850s, but he was born and raised in England as a British country gentleman, uh, very wealthy family knighted by the Queen, and they owned an actual estate uh, in England given to them by the Queen Victoria. They had their own coat of arms, and here he was, this great rabbi, Rabbi Suleiman Sasson. So he says, what is the centrality? Why is Judaism different from all the other nations? Interesting to note, Judaism is different from all the other religions. In what way? And the answer is, no other religions tell a person where to live. Not a single religion, not Christianity, not Islam. They may say, you know, these are certain holy places you should visit once a year. But nobody says no other religion in the world tells a person that there's a mitzvah to live in a certain place. Judaism is unique in that respect, that there's a mitzvah in the Torah, at least according to Ramban, Nachmanides, there's a mitzvah for every single Jew in the world to live in Israel, to move to Israel, to live in Israel. So Rabbi Suleiman Sasson asked the question, why is there a mitzvah for Jews to live in Israel? How come the other religions... There's no mitzvah to live in a single place. Why did God give us this mitzvah to live in a specific land, a specific country? So Rabbi Sassoon uses his knowledge of uh, the modern world to apply it to the Torah. And he says, you know, there's two kinds of companies. There's two kinds of monopolies. So everyone knows in economics, there's a company which is known as a monopoly. There's, there's two kinds of monopoly. There's a horizontal monopoly. For example, if a person sells shoes, so a horizontal monopoly says the, the, the shoe seller buys all the stores in the world selling shoes. That's called a horizontal monopoly. And then there's another kind of business, which is called a vertical monopoly. So instead of buying all the other shoe sellers, the, person, the, the shoe seller over here will buy the leather, the shoemakers, all the factories building, making the shoes, all the way up to the retail. So that's called a vertical monopoly. So he says all the other religions in the world are horizontal religions. They don't tell a person where to live because all they want is they want people to believe in what they believe. That's a horizontal religion. However, Judaism is a vertical religion. That's a very interesting idea. What is a vertical religion? It's a religion that guides a person all the way back from the very ground they're living on all the way up to anything else. For example, planting a seed in the ground. So the Jewish law governs like this year is, is Shemitah. So we govern, Jewish law governs everything right from planting to reaping, to harvesting, to plowing, all the different areas uh, in, uh, in a person's life, all the way from a farmer to people in trades and other things. Everything is guided by Jewish law. Everything is guided by Jewish law. So it's called a vertical monopoly. So without a land, there's no way the Torah can guide us in every single sphere of our lives. So the Torah is a complete system that guides us in every single sphere in our lives. And that's why it's important for us to be in a certain land. Why? Because then we can govern, the Torah can govern us in every single aspect of our lives. God wants to be reached through every aspect of our lives, not just in certain parts, not just in prayer, not just in learning Torah, but in, even in planting and reaping and harvesting and living and dwelling in a land. There's an aspect, a spiritual aspect that we have to fulfill. So that's the beautiful idea. Why is the land of Israel so central? And that's one of the central themes in the book of Joshua, which is to conquer and dwell in the land of Israel, which is something which we have to, that's our mitzvah, that's our generation's mitzvah.
It's a mitzvah given to us that we are the fortunate generation after thousands of years, 2,000 years of exile. We are finally back in our land, which is a tremendous miracle, but it's very similar to the book of Joshua. So the book of Joshua and today has tremendous parallels. So the book of Joshua speaks to us today more than any other book in the Torah, except for the five books, obviously, of Moshe Rabbeinu. The book of Joshua probably speaks to our generation more. We are now a, a generation of Jews in our land. Uh, and this speaks to us. This book speaks to us. So for, moving on from the uh, fight with Amalek, where Joshua was appointed as the general to fight Amalek, we find later on, two years later, that Moshe Rabbeinu sends spies to spy out the land of Israel. And uh, in 1312 BCE, he was one of the 12 spies. He was the head of the tribe of Ephraim. Yeshua was the head of the tribe of Ephraim, one of the larger tribes. Ephraim and Menashe were two sons of Joseph. And Ephraim was a very important uh, leader. because He was given the right, the right hand. If you remember, Yaakov Abidu crosses his hands when he blesses Menashe and Ephraim. Menashe was the oldest son. And Yoshua and Yaakov Avinu puts his right hand on Ephraim instead of Menashe. When Yosef objects, Yaakov tells uh, Yosef, he says, I know that Menashe is older, but Ephraim will be greater. So one of the things that made Ephraim greater is his descendants were leaders of Am Yisrael. And Yoshua is one of the first descendants from Ephraim to be a leader of Am Yisrael. And he was, since he was the head of the tribe of Ephraim, the 12 tribes, each one sent one representative to spy out the land of Israel. Hence the 12 spies. And uh, Yoshua was the head of the tribe of Ephraim. He was sent as one of the spies to Israel. And that's when Moshe Rabbeinu changes his name from Hoshea to Yehoshua. May Hashem save him from the sin of the spies, from the advice of the spies, from this. The, the spies are collaborating. Moshe Rabbeinu felt there was something strange about them. They're collaborating. They had some kind of uh, underlying interest, which uh, is, is a different topic. But uh, the spies had an underlying interest not to go into Israel, not to want to go into Israel. So Yoshua was saved from the sin of the spies. Him and Caleb ben Yifuneh, who was from the tribe of Judah. The Midrash says that Caleb went to Hebron to pray by the side of the forefathers' graves so he would not sin with the sin of the spies. And when the, the spies came back, 10 spies gave a bad report, and Kalev and Yeshua gave good reports about the land of Israel. So that's the second event where we find Kalev is involved in the Torah. He is one of the good spies. Him and Kalev were the good spies, who were probably one of the few exceptions to the rule that all the male Jews who came out of Egypt between the ages of 20 and 60 would die in the desert. So here we have Kalev and Yoshua survived, and they actually inherited land in Israel. They were privileged because of their support of God and their belief in God and God's promises to go into the land of Israel. They were actually rewarded that they were some of the few people of that age who get land in Israel. So Yoshua uh, was uh, a leader, he was a warrior, but he was also a second link in the chain of transmission of the Torah. This is the first Mishnah in Pirkei Avot tells us about the transmission of the Torah. Moshe kibbel Torah mi Sinai. Moshe got the Torah from Mount Sinai, from the Hashem, and Masarali Yoshua. 
and he gave it over to Yoshua. So Yoshua, Joshua, is second in the list of transmission of the Torah. Joshua is second in the list of transmission of the Torah. Moshe was number one, Joshua was number two. So when Moshe Rabbeinu passed in 1273 BCE, Joshua succeeded his master. Now it's interesting because we have to put in a few more details into the account. And one of the details is we find that uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu appointed the 70 elders to be part of the Sanhedrin, so he put each tribe provided six elders and he had 72 altogether and he cast lots and two elders were not, did not, uh, the lots did not get to them, but so they never won the lottery. So those two elders were prophesying, it says uh, uh, they were, that uh, they were prophesying outside the camp and they were prophesying that Moshe is going to die and Yeshua is going to be the next leader. So Yoshua gets very upset when he hears this. He runs to Moshe and he says, Adoni Moshe Kila'en. Moshe, these two great leaders are treasonous. Get rid of them. They're treasonous. They're saying you're going to die and uh, I'm going to be the leader. He didn't want to. Imagine he wanted his, he had no intentions to supersede Moshe. He wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to live. His great uh, Rebbe, his rabbi, his uh, teacher, he didn't want to take over the people. So we see over there the greatness of Yeshua was he was not jealous in any way of his, of his rabbi. He didn't want his rabbi to die like we see other people that want to take over. When will this guy get out of the way and I'll take over and I'll be greater than him. He, had, he was totally humble and he was happy of Moshe's leadership, Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership. And uh, so, 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 what well, Moshe Rabbeinu's tremendously great reply, we see the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, Halavai, he says, I wish all the Jewish people were prophets. So this is a tremendous, we see the greatness of Yeshua, who's worried about his rabbi, treason against his rabbi, his leader, the leader of the Jewish people. And we see Moshe Rabbeinu's reply, I wish all the Jewish people could prophesy as well. Wow, that's a tremendous greatness between the two of them. And then later on, we find that Moshe Rabbeinu knows he's going to die. He prays to Hashem. I'm going to talk a bit about that later on. Please, Hashem, you're the one who knows all the souls. You know all the people Provide a leader who can cope with everyone, who can make everyone happy. And the person who's chosen was Yoshua. Yoshua is a great leader. So you see Hashem chooses, answers Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer. Moshe Rabbeinu wants to make sure his life worth is not thrown down the drain. Make sure there's a good leader, takes over, and uh, Hashem appoints Yoshua. We see the worthiness of Yoshua in many different areas, in many different facets. So Moshe Rabbeinu passes in 1273 BCE. Yeshua succeeds his master as the leader of the people of Israel. And under his leadership, they crossed the Jordan River on Nisan the 10th of that year. So just a couple of days before Pesach. In fact, we find that Pesach in the desert was only celebrated, I think it was only once in the deserts. So the first year they came out of Mitzrayim. So Mitzrayim was celebrated. Second, the first year came out of Mitzrayim, so twice. And then uh, they celebrate only when Yoshua got into Israel. They celebrate again. Why? Because they were not circumcised in the desert because of the uh, dangers of running around. They could not circumcise their children. They just are being in a desert area. Um, where no, they, maybe they'd be called to move around at any minute. Hashem could just call them to move at any second. They're ready to move. And therefore, except for the tribe of Levi, no one circumcised their children. 
and therefore they weren't allowed to eat Koran Pesach. The only people who could eat Koran Pesach, the men who could eat Koran Pesach, had to be circumcised. And therefore, if they weren't circumcised, they weren't allowed to eat Koran Pesach. So therefore, the next time they had Koran Pesach was this last year in the desert where they crossed on the 10th of Nisan, they crossed over into Israel. And obviously, there was a massive miracle which compares to the crossing of the sea. You know, one of my grandsons just went kayaking in the River Jordan. So I asked him, the River Jordan, is that a massive river? What kind of river is it? It's like a little, uh, he said, wow, it's, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. So now the miracle is that Yeshua crosses over this river with the people of Israel. I just want to read to you uh, certain sections for the book of Joshua. This is right from the beginning. So first of all, the book of Joshua starts off chapter one, verse one. Uh, after the death of Moshe, the servant of Hashem. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu is called the servant of Hashem. Now that is an interesting title. The highest level a Jew can get to is to be a servant of Hashem. To be a servant of Hashem means that a person who has all these inclinations, all these desires, and they make themselves subservient to Hashem's desires instead. So a good servant looks after their master and puts their master's priorities first. And that's what we should have to do. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was able to do, achieve in his life. He was called the true servant of Hashem because he put Hashem's desires first. And uh, happened after the death of Moshe, servant of Hashem. Hashem said to Yoshua, Moshe, my servant has died. You cross the Jordan, you and the entire people, to land I give to them, to the children of Israel. And uh, so a tremendous, uh, here Hashem delineates the boundaries of Israel, massive boundaries of Israel. Just look at Joshua number one, uh, verse four, all the way, you see all the borders of Israel, which are tremendous. And then he says famous words to Yoshua. You cannot be a Jewish leader any time in history unless chazak ve'ematz. You have to be strong. And you have to be strong. Chazak ve'emat, you have to be strong and courageous. Translated strong and courageous. And it's interesting because the Sephardi, when a person gets an aliyah, and they say, they tell him, Chazak baruch, and the reply is, Chazak ve'emat. The reply is, Chazak ve'emat. So be strong and be strong. I think that's in two different levels. Be strong physically and be strong mentally or be strong spiritually. So there's different levels of strength that a person needs to be a leader. So very important to be a leader. It's not easy dealing with people. And sometimes a person going to stand on principle and guide the people. So a leader cannot kowtow to every single person. A leader cannot keep bending their head. A leader has to lead. And that takes strength of character. And that's Hashem's blessing to Yeshua that we respond to people when we get an aliyah. Chazak ve'emat. Chazak baruch. You respond. Chazak ve'emat. Very important. Chazak ve'emat. Be strong. Every single Jew today has to be strong. We have to be strong. Why? Because we're faced with enemies without. We're faced with enemies within. People call us names, anti-Semites all over. So every single Jew must be strong in every single way to serve Hashem. Don't be scared. Don't have any fear and do not lose resolve. Don't forget, Yeshua has to conquer Canaan. And we're going to see that Yeshua conquers 31 different kingdoms. The kingdoms were not so big in those days. They're basically, they were fortified cities. Every fortified city had a king. Yeshua, at the end, conquers 31 different kings. That's 31 different types of warfare. We're going to talk about the different wars that he had. I'm not going to focus on the wars, but it was a very tough job. And therefore, Hashem tells him, 
חזק ואמץ, חזק ואמץ, אל תהרות ואל תחד ומסכן. כי עמך השם אלוקיך, Lord your God is with you, בכל אשר תלך, wherever you go, השם is with you wherever you go. This is a very very comforting thought and a person should try and get this blessing and think about this blessing all the time for a person themselves. Individually, השם, we should hear these words every day. חזק ואמץ, אל תהרות ואל תחד, כי עמך השם אלוקיך, השם is with us. פרס של צאי, השם is with me, השם should be with me, בעזרת השם, השם should be with all of us. With the people of Israel, with the army of Israel, with the nation of Israel, בעזרת השם, in Israel and outside Israel, בעזרת השם, השם should be with us, just like השם promised יהושע, חזק ואמץ, אל תהרות ואל תחד, כי עמך השם אלוקיך, בכל אשר תלך. השם is with you wherever you go, and then, Yeshua tells the people, prepare food, because now the manna is stopping. This is the end of the 40th year. In the desert, Moshe Rabbeinu died on the 7th of Adar, and we're in the 10th of Nisan, and the manna stops. The manna stops. So prepare, prepare provisions for yourselves. Just get food from the fields, buy food from the neighbors, because another three days you'll be crossing the Jordan to come to the possession of the land. So in three days' time, you're going to cross the Jordan, And then he goes, gives us a bit of a list over here of things to do. And he sends spies into Israel. This time, not 12 spies. We saw what happened with 12 spies. He sends two spies into Jericho to find out whether it's the time is right to take over Jericho or not. And the two spies go in and they go to a woman's house. Her name was Rahav. And the Torah says she was a Zona. Rashi says a Zona comes with Mazon, um, which means to give food. She, had, she was an innkeeper. That's the nice way of putting it. She was an innkeeper in the land of Canaan in the city of Jericho. The two spies go and they get information about the moral state of the people. Are the people scared? Not scared of Jewish people. The Jewish people win and she gives them very good information. The people are terrified of the Jews and all the miracles they heard that God did for them. And they had to hide for a couple of days because the king of Jericho heard that they were there. And eventually yeah, they escape thanks to Rahab and they promise Rahab to save her and her family, which they do later on when they conquer Jericho. So uh, that's the story of the two spies, not 12 spies. You find you sent too many people. It's a big mess. You don't want to send too many people as spies. It's very noticeable. And who knows, they all have different ideas. But here they have a very specific mission. The mission was to find out the morale of the people, of the Canaanites. And the morale was very, very low, very, very low. So they get back, they tell Joshua the good news, and the Jewish people on the, on the, they're now moving, they're moving across. It was at the end of three days, and uh, Joshua says, tomorrow we're going to cross over the Jordan. And they cross, the, when they see the Ark of God going into the Jordan, what happened is the, the river of Jordan stopped flowing, basically stopped flowing, uh, stopped flowing downstream. And it left that area dry. That area was dry. Now, obviously, it could be very muddy. Obviously, another miracle is like the crossing of the Red Sea. So we find there's a lot of similarities in the story of Joshua. We have to go through the similarities with you. The story of Joshua and the story of Moshe Rabbeinu, all the different similarities in the story. So this is one of the major similarities is that just like Moshe Rabbeinu crossed the Red Sea, they split the sea, Joshua, 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 uh, the sea was split for him. So amazing similarity over here. And over here, the difference is that he had an ark of Hashem. The Aaron of Hashem with the Ten Commandments in it crossed over first and stayed in the middle of the river while the river stopped. And then all the Jewish people cross 
And then the ark comes out after all the Jewish people cross. So it's slightly different from the, uh, the uh, uh, story of the crossing of the sea. And, and Yosha tells the people, take 12, 12 uh, people. Hashem says, tell 12 people, one from each tribe, to get 12 stones from the bottom of the river before you cross and carry them to the other side and set up over there a monument that every Jew will know that this is where the Jewish people crossed. So I don't know where that monument is today. It's in a place called Gilgal. And I'm sure that maybe some archaeologists have found this monument. And there's a monument of 12 stones set up to show where the Jewish people crossed the Jordan. Okay, when they crossed, what happened is then the, then the Kohanim crossed. And when all the uh, Canaanites heard, on the other side, they heard this miracle again. Their hearts sank even more. Their morale was even lower. And then Hashem says to Yeshua, make sharp knives and circumcise all the Jewish people. So the Jewish people were circumcised before the first Koran Pesach in, Israel, in uh, Egypt. And that's why there was, a, there, was a, uh, there was a wait between the 10th of Nisan, the 14th of Nisan, sacrificed the Koran Pesach. And they could only eat the Okoran Pesach on the 15th of Nisan at night. Why? Because it took a long, it took a day to circumcise all the Jewish people in Egypt and then for them to heal. It took a couple of days for them to heal. And same thing over here. So over here, they're circumcised again. Yoshua, Joshua is the Moel. <laughs> Joshua is the Moel. He makes sharp knives for himself and he circumcised the people on a place called Yivat Haralot. Uh, and uh, so there they are. People are circumcised now. They're going to celebrate this beautiful Korban Pesach, this uh, Pesach, the Paschal Lamb. And before that, he has a vision. Yoshua has a vision of uh, this great man comes in front of his eyes and he's holding a big sword. And Yoshua says to the man, he says, are you on our side or are you our enemy? And the man says, he says, I am a commander of Hashem's legions of angels. You think you're fighting this war? We are fighting this war on your behalf. I am a commander of Hashem's legions. I wish we could see Hashem's legions around us. But oh, this is a, there's a beautiful story. I have to go recover it eventually when the story of Elisha. And Elisha was surrounded by uh, the, king, the king of uh, Aram, king of uh, Syria, and all his men. And his servant, Elisha's servant is shivering. And Elisha tells his son, why are you shivering? He says, can't you see we have more men on our side than they have? And the guy's shivering away. So Elisha prays for Hashem to open his eyes. And Elisha's servant sees all the angels surrounding them. Wow. So I wish we could see the angels surrounding us. I hope we do have angels surrounding us. But rather, Hashem, Hashem should always surround us with angels to protect us in every single way. And says, so this angel that saved me, Yaakov, blesses his children, should save you as well, Menashe Nefrayim. So anyway, so we all, we have to remember this. Yoshua is not the one who's going to conquer Israel. He is just the figurehead. He is the symbol. He's the one who does the physical actions, but the spiritual actions are being fought as well. There's a spiritual side to it as well. And just like we have physical battles in our lives, we also have spiritual battles. Focus on the spiritual battle and you'll see the physical battle will also be ended. So we have to focus on the spiritual side and the physical side in our lives. So Yeshua uh, sees this man and the man tells him a famous line. He says, listen, 
your, my job is to fight the Canaanites. Your job is to learn Torah. Bo, your mom, the mitzvah of learning Torah is to learn Torah day and night. Bo, your mom, and uh, this is a very interesting game. Yoshua Musar, you're spending too much time on strategy. You're not spending enough time on Torah. You have to learn Torah. Now Hashem says, I'll do the strategy for you. Anyway, we find the next, the first stage is Jericho. Jericho. And Yericho was completely a massive fortified city. It's interesting, the archaeologists today, they try to undermine this account, this biblical account. Yes, there was a city, but it fell, the walls fell many years before, whatever. There's a whole big discussion today about the archaeologists. Anyway, we are true to our belief system. We are true to our Torah. And we will find that eventually they will agree, like on many other things, that we say something and eventually we'll find uh, the scientists eventually agree to get to agree. And then we'll say, you, we told you so, just like creation, right? The Big Bang. The Torah says the Big Bang. We just read about it last week. And then science comes on and says, oh, there was a Big Bang. You know, the world was created in seconds now. They're saying the world was created in seconds. We say the world was created in seven days. Oh, the world was created in seconds. Okay. So getting closer and closer. Okay, same thing with Jericho. Jericho. That we find exact biblical accounts that the walls fell down. We did, they did find remnants of the walls, these massive fortifications of the walls of Jericho. The question is the dating of the walls. When was the date? Okay, it was earlier. Anyway, the walls were there. The walls were there, if I want to see. And then we have a later story in the book of Kings, which we're going to talk about later on in our series, um, in the time of Ahab, that we find that when the walls fell down. But let's just talk about the walls of Jericho a bit. Every day they were, they were commanded to walk around the walls. They arose early at daybreak. They went around the walls once every day. And uh, seven Kohanim, they, they carried the Kohanim, carried the Ark of Hashem around the walls. Seven Kohanim carried seven shofarot before the Ark walked and blew with the shofars. And behind them was the armed troops. And then the rear guard went and blowing the shofars as well. So every day they blew it, they went around the, the uh, wall once, blowing the shofarot, and they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got uh, up early at daybreak, they went around the wall, and this time seven times. And it's interesting because it says that the people inside the city were making mockery. Look, every, every day they come out, the Jews come out, they walk around our walls, they blow the shofar, and they do it again and again and again. They, you know, they made a mockery, they can't do anything, our city is so strong, they can't get in. But the seventh day, when they walk around seven times, and then uh, when Joshua gave them the sound, everyone started screaming, and the walls fell down, and they went into the city, and they conquered the city, and they spared Rahab and her family. Okay, so that is a very important idea, this idea of the walls falling down. It just shows, you know, that this whole story of the conquering of Israel was not a physical uh, event that uh, the great armies of the Jewish people were so great. It's all done by Hashem. Hashem, because of his promise to the forefathers, his promise to the forefathers. And it's something which we say in the Haggadah, the Haggadah, which we're going to talk about probably next week, because that's what Yoshua tells them. We get a bit of the Haggadah from the book of Joshua. People don't know that. There's a part, part of the Haggadah which we're going to talk about, which comes from the book of Joshua, which talks about the history of the Jewish people. And basically, we see over here, how can walls fall down by themselves? And the answer is Hashem wills it. 
If Hashem wills it, the walls will fall down and it will be easy to get Jericho. That's just a symbol of things in our lives. If Hashem wills it, it will be very easy. If Hashem doesn't will it, it's going to be very hard. Nevertheless, we have to try our best. And again, one of the themes of the, of the book of Joshua is Hashem keeps on saying, and this is also a theme right through Tanakh. If you do what I tell you, everything will do well for you. If you do what I tell you, everything will go well for you. And uh, I just want to go through a few things before the next uh, part of the, the talk, uh, which will be probably next week. Um, so what do we learn from the life of Yoshua? What should we learn from the life? Let's take away a few uh, points from today's class. What should we learn from the life of Joshua? Number one, Yoshua is best known as Moshe Rabbeinu's second in command. He was faithful till the end. He was the second in command. He waited for Moshe at Har Sinai the first time up 40 days and 40 nights. He was there all 40 days and 40 nights camping on the mountain. The rabbis tell us he camped on the mountain. Why was he camping on the mountain? He was waiting for the few minutes of private talk, conversation he could have with Moshe on the way down. He could learn something extra on the way down. That was his thirst for knowledge. Yeshua was faithful second in command. Yeshua had tremendous quest for knowledge and thirst for knowledge of Torah. Uh, Yoshua is known as one of our greatest military leaders, which we talked about. He led a seven-year campaign. The book of Joshua covers 14 years, seven-year campaign to conquer Israel, and and seven more years to divide the land of Israel, which we're going to talk about more next week. So he was a great military leader. He could be considered one of the greatest military leaders in human history. However, we said it's not his skill that conquered the land of Israel. It was the work of Hashem. Hashem is the one who helped us. Without that help, Hashem, we would never have been able to conquer the land of Israel. Further evidence of his leadership is his rock-solid faith in God, as in, in which he showed, which you see in the story of the spies. Imagine, 10 spies saying we'll never be able to get the land of Israel. Saw the giants, uh, look at the fruits, they're weird. Everything strange over there. We'll never be able to conquer it. And here's two great leaders, Kalev and Yoshua, who stand up against the crowd and say, yes, we can. We can. Hashem is behind us. Hashem can do anything he wants. We can definitely get into the land of Israel. There's Rad Hashem. We'll get in. And we will just, Hashem will help us. So it's rock solid faith in God. And he believed the promises of Hashem. They were not intimidated, Kalev and Yoshua were not intimidated by the size of the warriors or the strength of the cities. They knew Hashem could take care of the mighty Egyptian nation. He would certainly take care of the various Canaanite tribes. Hashem rewarded Yoshua and Kalev's faith by exempting them from the entire generation of not seeing the land of Israel. So they got into the land of Israel. Very, very important. And here Hashem uh, asked Yoshua to consecrate the Jewish people before the invasion of the promised land. We see he's a spiritual leader. Number four, he's a spiritual leader. He's a mohel. He looks after them. He gives them uh, this brit milas. He's a mohel. And he helps them celebrate the Koran Pesach, the Pesach uh, festival for the third time, for the third time in our history. The primary lesson to draw from this story is number one, is, is number four, uh, five, summer five, is the centrality of the land of Israel. 
And number six is Hashem keeps his promises. Hashem promised the land to our forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. And here in this book of Joshua, we see Hashem keeps his promises. So very important. And, you know, we're seeing it today. Hashem said, I will scatter you in the four corners of the world and I will gather you up again. And here we are. We're the ones who are scattered in the four corners of the world. We're being gathered up again. We see Hashem keeps his promises. Bezrat Hashem, we'll see Hashem. All the promises will be fulfilled in our days. We'll see the great salvation. So that's what Yeshua means, Hashem's salvation. Hashem should help him, and Hashem should help us. The salvation should come. So very important ideas that we learned from the book of Joshua. And he was a major figure in the events of the Exodus. He was a major figure in the battle with Amalek. He was a major figure going up Mount Sinai. When Moshe Rabbeinu went up, he was accompanied with Yeshua. And he was a major figure in taking over from Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatness of Yeshua. And in uh, the Midrashim, I just want to give a little bit of Midrashim before we end the class. Yeshua is regarded as a faithful, humble, wise person. And uh, the, the Midrash applies certain psukim. One in Proverbs, he that waits on his master shall be honored. That's Joshua. Yeshua waited on his master, Moshe Rabbeinu, and he shall be honored. He became the next leader. Whoever keeps the fig tree shall eat of its fruit. And that's, again, uh, Midrash says, referring to Yeshua. He keeps the fig tree, he eats the fruit. He keeps the Torah, he's going to be the leader. He's uh, head of the fruits. The honor shall uphold the humble in spirit, Proverbs. So again, he is, the, he is humble in spirit. He never wanted the job. The best leaders are the ones who don't want the job. The hardest leaders are the ones who want the job. Unfortunately, we have a whole bunch of leaders who want the job. The best leaders are the ones who don't want the job. Like Moshe Rabbeinu running away from honor. And Yoshua was also running away from honor. He didn't want the job. Hashem gives him the job and he gives him the bracha of being strong. So Yoshua did not want the job. And uh, we're going to talk a bit more about it next week. The different parts of the book of Yoshua and the greatness of Yoshua. Thank you all for coming and attending today's class. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.